last Sunday, we learned how Jesus' kingdom is upside down from uh, the way we often think. Uh, The weak and helpless get the kingdom while the rich and confident walk away. The last are first, and the first last. Uh, When chapter 20, Jesus will reinforce this truth. Uh, But he does it by the way of a parable. Parables are short stories that call forth a response. And important to parables is what some have called an encounter mechanism. An encounter mechanism. This is especially important with uh, Jesus' parables concerning the kingdom of heaven. When the kingdom of heaven encounters the kingdom of man, man must change some things. A lot of things. The encounter is that part of the story that that grabs you by the collar and says, listen up. It leaves no room for neutrality before the king of heaven. In parables, Jesus means to change our perception and reverse our values and worldview. His kingdom doesn't operate like ours. So as you listen to Jesus' parable Today, be looking for that encounter mechanism. When, when you encounter Jesus' kingdom, what about your life suddenly appears upside down to the way Jesus thinks? Uh, how is Jesus seeking to change your perception of the world? What reversal in your value system might he want transformed so that your life better reflects his gracious rule? Well, let's read this parable and find out how Jesus' kingdom encounters us, beginning in verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. And so they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, Will you go into the vineyard too? And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour... Sorry, when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. 
And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. Now to understand how this parable confronts us, we should first see how it confronted Peter and the other disciples. You might have noticed how verse 1 begins with the word for. Right? That, that looks back to verse 30. But many who are first will be last in the last verse. For the kingdom of heaven is like. So we're seeing that Jesus is now illustrating for Peter what he means by the first being the last and the last first. You'll also notice, uh, if you read, we read verse 30 again, but many who are first will be last and the last first, you will then notice how chapter 20, verse 16, closes with the same words, it's only reverse. So the last will be first, and the first last. They, they're kind of like bookends, right, to this, to this parable. And, and they serve as clues to that encounter mechanism I mentioned earlier. The last will be first, and the first last. That's where Jesus confronts us. That's also the emphasis of the parable. Uh, The parable mentions uh, five groups of laborers. But did you notice how verses 8 and 9 narrows the focus to only the last and the first? That's what Jesus is concerned about here. So whatever else we might observe, this parable serves Jesus' point about the first becoming last and the last first. Now, in some ways, we experienced that uh, last week um, when uh, the children uh, enter the kingdom, or so to speak, Jesus blesses those who are like children, and uh, the rich man walks away from the kingdom. So the low and the helpless children end up blessed by Jesus' kingdom, while the high, moral, Bible Belt guy walks away from the kingdom. Right? That's, that's opposite to the way we normally think, but it's the way Jesus' kingdom confronts the world. Peter needs to remember this, as do all Jesus' disciples. You see, Peter watched the rich young man walk away from Jesus. The man was unwilling to give up his possessions for Jesus' sake. Not Peter, though. Peter says, look. Look at us. Right? We have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Well, Jesus then reassures Peter of his reward in verses 28 and 29. You will judge with me. You'll get a hundredfold in return. You will have eternal life. And then Jesus adds this. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Notice the contrast in that language. But many who are first will be last, right? It's spoken like a check on Peter's attitude. And I think this goes back to the the subtle shift in Peter's focus, right? When when Peter says, what then will we have? 
It seems like Peter's begin, Peter begins shifting the focus from the grace of God to his own worthiness. Right? Jesus had finished on the note of God's grace. Salvation is impossible with man. That was verse 26. But with God, all things are possible. He's telling Peter, if you're in, if you're in the kingdom, if, if you have, have been able to sell everything and, and follow me, it's all owing to God's grace, Peter. Peter shifts the focus. Look what we've given up. Don't we deserve something for this? It's almost like Jesus responds, Yes, Peter, these rewards will be true of you, but you better check your attitude. As you consider these rewards, remember how the first will be last and the last first. These rewards should never puff you up and make you think how deserving you are. And Jesus then tells the parable. And so I think one of the major points is to show how, uh, is to show Peter and us that even when it comes to rewards, kingdom people focus on God's grace and not their own worthiness. Kingdom people focus on God's grace and not their own worthiness. If you focus on your own worthiness, you become like those who think they ought to be first. But the kingdom is upside down to that kind of thinking. And so watch out, Peter. Watch out, church. Keep your focus on the grace of God. And that brings us to our parable. Part one of the parable sets the stage with a wealthy landowner hiring laborers. It says the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went away, who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. A vineyard was a familiar metaphor used throughout the Old Testament uh, to, uh, to apply to Israel. God would illustrate his activity in the world um, with images like a, a farmer caring for his vineyard. I think Jesus is drawing from this imagery to illustrate, once again, God's activity in the world and what it's like. Well, God's activity is, is like that of a wealthy landowner who seeks out laborers for his vineyard. But as the story goes, we notice something peculiar about this, this landowner, right? He keeps returning the marketplace to hire more workers. Uh, five times he does this. So first he does it around uh, 6 a.m. in the morning, right? Probably with Dale and Gary Trojak, you know. Others up at that hour. Given a 12-hour workday, you know, sun up to sundown. The third hour of verse 3 means he did it again at 9 a.m. Verse 5 tells us he did it again at noon. And then again at 3, and the last group he hires at 5. Now, some might say, well, this guy didn't plan very well. Right? He's not, he didn't assess his vineyard, the needs of his vineyard all that well. But that's not where Jesus is going. Notice how the master has his foreman pay the last group first in verse 8. So he seems pretty intentional about his business. Uh, consider, too, the sorts of people he seeks out. Right? It's those in, in society who are lower. The day laborers were worse off than the slaves. Slaves had a job. Day laborers didn't. And needed one to eat. 
The master searches for those without employment to provide them with work and pay. And not only does he give them work, but he also promises a just wage. You know, in Jesus' time, a denarius was the going rate for days worth of work. The master promises the first group a denarius in verse 2. In verse 4, though, he tells the second group, whatever is right, I'll give you. He does the same with groups 3, 4, and 5. Also, this whole parable is, is heading the statement about God's generosity in verse 15. So all that to say, the point isn't that the master of house is a bad planner. Right? He's compassionate. He, he returns repeatedly to provide for more and more people in need of employment. There's intentionality. And so already we're, we're getting a glimpse of this guy's generosity. And that generosity becomes even more apparent as we move to the second part of the parable where he pays the laborers. Now, the parable has set us up with some expectations, hasn't it? In verse 2, the master makes an agreement with the first group to pay them a denarius. And in verse 4, he promises to pay the later groups whatever's right. And what are we all thinking? Proportional pay. That's what we're reading as whatever's right. Proportional pay, right? If the first guy gets a denarius for 12 hours, then those who work nine get three quarters of denarius. And those who work half a day get half a denarius and, and so on. That's how we figure things in the kingdom of man. And by the time you get to the last group, you're even scratching your head about this guy's business practices. Verse 6 says he hired them at the 11th hour. What are they going to get done in an hour? Also, these were the folks that no one else seemed to hire. So surely these guys are going to get very little. A twelfth of a denarius at most. That's what we're thinking. And the parable kind of lets you run with that way of thinking. We're most inclined to think that way. If, if If I see them getting this, then I deserve this. I do more, I get more. Right? In, in fishing, you often let the... Fishing for bass, you know, you let, you let them run with the hook a little while. Before you set it. Verses 8 and 9 are setting the hook. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. That's a strange way to prioritize things. The last up to the first? Why wouldn't he prioritize those who work the most? Verse 9 shocks us even more. When those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. So they got the same amount promised to the first group that worked all day. The last group did hardly anything compared to the first. And yet they get a full day's pay. You can imagine them all waiting in line. You know, they're looking up, they're watching the the last guys get paid first, and they see the master divvy out a denarius, and they're just, they're running the calculator, right? They're whispering to each other about how much more they're going to get, right? If they got a denarius for an hour, surely that means we're getting 12 for a whole day. That's how the way verse 10 presents it when those hired first came. They thought they would receive more. Notice how the parable doesn't mention the other groups. They were paid too. But Jesus is focusing in on this last group and the first. 
The first group thought they would receive more, and yet each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. So they're not happy. They were fine earlier. They made an agreement with the master. Now they're not so fine. Their focus shifts away from the generosity of the master who hired them to their own worthiness and what they thought they deserved. We worked more. We bore the greater burdens. We suffered in the heat. And when that becomes your focus... You don't like it when others that you perceive as less are made equal to you. Isn't that part of the rub? You have made this last group equal to us. And this is where Jesus' kingdom confronts our own. All right, this is where Jesus' parable encounters us because which group are we more likely to sympathize with? The first group. We read what happens on payday and say, that's not fair. The first group worked more. They deserve more. You can't treat the first group that way. The last group did nothing. And all the while, what have we missed? We have lost, what have we lost sight of? What have we started to value more? You see, the kingdom of man hardwires us to think like the first group. Our selfishness wires us to think like the first group, and we end up relating to God on our terms instead of on the terms of grace. Our flesh wants to say, we're better because we did more. And grace says, not so fast. Grace says, let's review what you really deserve. Our flesh wants to tell God, when I do more, you owe me more. And grace says, not so fast. Let's review who's in charge here. Who owns the vineyard? And that's why we need the kingdom of heaven to change us. That's why Jesus tells the last part of the parable. In part three, Jesus sets us straight by revealing God to us. As I said before, the the vineyard imagery recalls God's activity in the world. The master of the house represents God and how God chooses to deal with the first and, and the last. If we are to think rightly with the kingdom of heaven, then we must remember first that God is just. God is just. The master replies to one of them in verse 13, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. The first group doesn't lose anything. He hasn't slighted them by giving the last group more. This teaches us that God neglects none of his disciples when it's time to reward them. Every reward that God distributes will be right. Whatever is right, I will give you. We must trust him. We shouldn't worry that God will overlook anything. 
Jesus is telling Peter and us, right? Don't be among those who view themselves as deserving more of God's grace than others. Don't relate to God like he's doing you in an injustice when he's good to others. We don't deserve anything more. The only thing we deserve is wrath because of our sin. But in Christ, all we get is grace. So be happy the master sought you out in the first place. Be thankful the master brought you into his vineyard at all. God is just. He won't slight you or overlook anything. Whatever you get will be right. Right? Isn't it interesting how these first group of laborers, right, they, they make the agreement, but the last group just kind of trust, hey, this master's going to give us what's right. That should be our attitude when we sign up. He's, he's just. Whatever's right, we trust him. He's going to give it to us. God is also sovereign. The master says in verse 14, I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? God isn't obligated to us. He is never in our debt, nor can we tell him how to distribute his gifts. Right? They belong to him. God will decide what he wants to do with them. If that means a guy like the Apostle Paul with decades of faithfulness gets eternal life equal to the thief on the cross who had minutes of faithfulness, we can't object and say, how dare you? That's unfair. It's God's to give. He is sovereign. It's not the place of the worker to tell the master what he needs to do with his gifts. The vineyard is his. Psalm 115.3, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Who are we to tell him? You can't show that last group so much grace, Lord. But how often we can sink into such attitudes, especially when we think too highly of ourselves. We must remember that God is just and He is sovereign. He gives His grace to whom He pleases, when He pleases, and as much as He pleases. And then finally, God is also generous. Verse 15. Or do you begrudge my generosity? Literally, Is your eye evil because I am generous? Jesus had used this same imagery in chapter 6, verse 22. The eye of the lamp. I'm sorry. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And Jesus is telling us that the, the, the eye of this first group is bad. Their spiritual outlook is warped. You get this same idea of this eye with uh, Saul and David. When everybody starts singing David's you know, thousands and Saul's hundreds, 
You know, and it says, and from that day forward, Saul eyed him. Right? It's, it's the idea he's jealous, he's envious of what's going on. That's what's going on here. Instead of standing in awe of the master's generosity, this first group grumbles. They've got a bad eye. The whole point is to show uh, how the master gives these laborers more than they deserve. He's generous. And yet their attitude about it is sour. The ones we think least deserve his grace, the last group, end up getting an abundance. But when your values are shaped by the kingdom of man, how quickly we can become envious like this first group. God's generosity toward the last should make us happy, not envious. We should stand in awe of his generosity, not begrudge it. The kingdom of God is about God's generosity, not the worthiness of the laborers in it. Which brings us around to where we started with Peter. Peter had shifted the conversation away from grace to what he's owed. But Jesus warns him about where that shift will eventually take him. Peter needs to remember what God's kingdom is like. He needs to remember that God is just, that God is sovereign, and that God is generous. When God's kingdom encounters the kingdom of man, the last will be first. So for just a minute, Peter needs to see himself in the first group and where that's going to lead him. Many who view themselves as first, as more deserving of God's gifts because of what they've done, will be surprised to find themselves last. And many who are viewed as last, as less significant, as less deserving, they will surprisingly end up first. And all by God's generosity. So don't pride yourself on your deeds as if you have a claim on God's rewards. Everything in the kingdom is owing to God's generosity. Also, watch out for a bad eye. Right? Beware of the kingdom of man and and how your culture's values shape the way you think about spiritual matters. I mean, throughout Matthew's gospel, we've been seeing how the kingdom of, of, of heaven clashes with our value system, right? Man measures success by numbers, but the kingdom measures success by faithfulness. Man links greatness to power and status, but the kingdom links greatness to serving. Henry will talk to you more about that next week. Man welcomes the the moral and the self-sufficient, but the kingdom welcomes the broken and the helpless. Man looks for the mighty, but the kingdom looks for the children and those like them. It's upside down from the way we often think. It's also upside down from, from how the first group of laborers are thinking. The first group of laborers haven't shaken the mindset of the kingdom of man. Bless those who deserve it. Reward those who earn it. Never treat those who did less as our equal. But the kingdom of heaven operates on different principles where the last becomes first. The Lord blesses 
those who don't deserve it. He shows extravagant generosity to those who never earned it. And even those with a lesser standing, they receive equal blessing in his kingdom. H.B. Charles put it this way. God gives generously to throw off religious bookkeepers who are preoccupied with what their pay is going to be. As you review your time cards, God brings ragamuffin latecomers to the front of the line at the pay window. We must tune our hearts to rejoice when God offers a place to the last. You know who else struggled with God's generosity? The older brother in the parable of the prodigal son. He was angry about his father's generosity. And he too made the focus all about his deeds. Look. You recognize that language? Look. These many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. And yet you never gave me a young goat through a party. And the father says, son, you're always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. God's grace doesn't meet our expectations. We expected the last group to, to get the least in pay. We expected the prodigal son to be shunned and pushed away. But God surprises us and he gives them what they don't deserve. He gives us what we don't deserve. He searches out and he finds the least qualified and he gives them everything. He finds the outsider and the straggler and the latecomer. He searches among those that society tends to ignore and to overlook and to set aside. And he offers them an equal place among all in his kingdom. He shocks them with abundant grace. As Psalm 103 would put it, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. He lavishes His kindness on us in the Lord Jesus. He offers up His only Son in our place. He takes away all of our sins. Despite what we deserve to be separated from Him forever, He brings us in and He brings us to Himself. He gives us a seat at His table. He crowns us with steadfast love and mercy. He gives us everything we need from day to day. By His Spirit, He dwells with us. He seals us for the day of redemption. He preserves us to the end. This must be our focus. God's grace, not our unworthiness. God is generous to latecomers. And we should be the first to celebrate and not to grumble. The kingdom is His, after all. It's not for us to tell God what to do with His gracious gifts. It's for us to celebrate that He distributes grace at all, and He's in the business of giving it to the unlikeliest of people, the last. And why does He do that? Because 
He is generous. And that's what his kingdom is all about. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I thank you for your incredible generosity towards us in the Lord Jesus. We thank you that you sought us out and brought us into your kingdom. In the days ahead, would you please protect us from having any attitude or spirit like, you know what, I deserve to be here, or I deserve more in here. We deserve nothing, Lord. It's all owing to your kindness. Give us a mindset that trusts whatever is right, you're going to give us. And just by the the fact that we're in your kingdom, let, let us celebrate this together and work hard until the end and trust you to to sort it all out well. And I ask that you would also help us to rejoice when those maybe society would deem last enter the kingdom and get a, gain an equal standing alongside of us in the gospel and in eternal life. Pray that we would be able to rejoice with them Sing over your wonder, wondrous deeds. Bless the rest of our time together as we come to the supper. In Jesus we pray. Amen.